Welcome to the Entertainment Engine. Hi, I'm Pete Moore. And my name's Bex Gregory. And together we are the co-hosts of the Entertainment Engine podcast. We are really excited to share more information about our show. The podcast is for new and existing creatives working in music, film and TV. Weekly, we provide our listeners with information, advice and knowledge to help people navigate a career in the entertainment industry. Plus, we have fantastic guests from the world of entertainment who share their stories with us, where we learn from their experience of working in the entertainment business built in with some fun facts along the way. So be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, plus many others. We look forward to welcoming you to the show. This week we speak with Chris Corby, co-founder and CEO of Stage Pilot. Chris has spent nearly a decade creating technologies and services that empower artists to grow, analyse and monetise. Chris started off as a designer and worked with top agencies in Boston, New York and San Francisco. He then fell in love with photography and shot campaigns for Stetson, Southwest Airlines and much more. Chris decided to apply the skills he learned to his own company and raise money built a team of talented folks and together launched Archiver, Ceremony, Storyline and Artifact, and most recently Stage Pilot, which is an exceptional in-person, virtual and hybrid VIP experiences. We really hope you enjoy the conversation we had with Chris. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's another episode of The Entertainment Engine, and today we have CEO and founder of Stage Pilot, Chris Corby. Chris, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Yeah. Very, very well. well. Yeah, yeah. It's great to have you on the show, Chris. Appreciate your time. Yeah, appreciate it. Happy to be here. Oh, fantastic. And before we get into it, Chris, just uh, got to ask a question. How have you and your family been coping with this thing called the pandemic over the past year? You know, as good as to be expected. Um, I think when we realized that COVID was here to stay for a while, we... Honestly, we bought a giant van and loaded up all of our bikes and stuff and drove across country and took about a month of trying to stay outside and stay away from other people. And mm. since we've been back, we're, you know, we're fine. We're getting through. Oh, wow. What about you guys? Yeah, I think it's the same for everyone, isn't it? Really? It's just doing the best you can. You know, yeah. it's, um, it's ever changing, isn't it? It's, yeah. Um, yeah, you just got to be sensible, haven't you, really? You just got to keep keep doing what you're doing definitely um, yeah definitely i think I, I echo that as well and i think just be mindful of other people and and try and go about your daily activities but in a safe way really yeah that's it absolutely but yeah chris we're excited to sort of delve in yes, and have a chat yes. with you today um so yeah so chris you began your career in boston and new york uh as a designer first and then you were creative director for renowned global design firms so how did all of this sort of come about we'd love to know more about this um sorry i started off in boston i grew up about 30 minutes north of boston and probably from a young age was really super interested in kind of commercial design i was a big skateboarder bmx rider deep into album art and i think the the kind of individual style that each kind of brand, each band, each artist brought to those worlds. Um, all of that artwork was really 
pretty accessible, a lot of kind of DIY aesthetic. Not all of it was super polished or seemed like something you couldn't achieve. And when I went to college, there was a design program that I slowly got into and then ended up focusing on. And, and that was it. When I graduated, moved to Boston and started working at, at a couple different design firms. Wow. So it's always been with you then, Chris, having a sort of a creative passion, really, from an early age. Yeah, I think I've always been the, the kid with band logos, skateboard logos drawn in my lunchbox, my pencil box, my <laughs> notebooks, my shoes. Yeah, that's always been that's always been a big thing for me. So do you think, I suppose just a personal question, Chris, do you think album artwork for music is going to come back again and be quite prevalent again? I do. I think... I I think it's going to be in a different way. Like when think about the 80s, I think about the 80s because that's when I started to get into music. You'd go to the music shop and it was just cassette tapes mm. for miles and the artwork was tiny and there's only one or two rows of tapes that you could see the face of the cassette. And there was just, it, it was so prevalent. Every album, every artist, every everything had artwork connected to it. Um you know, as MP3s and digital music took over, maybe that took a back seat. But with the past couple years of the resurgence of vinyl and just the endless, super talented kind of poster artists out in the world, I think those two things are going to drive album art to kind of come back probably in a more special way than, you know, than just something you had to throw on the front of a cassette or on the front of an album. I feel like now artists, mu musicians are connecting with illustrators and artists that kind of share the same ethos so they feel like visualizes their music or their kind of where they're coming from and yeah i think we're we're smack in the golden age of great poster art coming back yeah i i, mm. I completely agree with that and yeah, i think um going you know going back to the 80s and the 90s as, as well chris i think it is going to be you know really huge again because i think you know there, there was nothing better than going into a record shop and seeing the artwork mm. and thinking oh, i really love that album cover and i yeah i agree i think it's going to come back and i think it's going to be stronger oh yeah yeah definitely so after a decade of helping you know shape brands for some of the world's you know iconic really companies like aig vanity fair you decided to then pivot can you tell us a little bit more about when that moment happened for you yeah at that i think when i was about 35 i'd been living in brooklyn we had two kids married had two kids and we're working you know, like everybody else kind of around the clock on on big campaigns big brand launches big campaign launches and as much as i loved the work i am the at that point especially was the consummate pleaser i just wanted to do the best possible work you know as an industry driven by award shows i wanted to be in every award show and so I found that I was the bigger the agency I got to, the bigger the clients I would start to manage. And it became a little bit less and less sexy, less and less exciting. A lot of huge kind of corporate rebrands. Um, and I just got to a point where I thought I would not mind applying this kind of skill set to brands that are maybe a little bit more meaningful to my day-to-day -day life. So we left New York uh, and founded a a design agency called Meat and Bones and really focused on, we worked for Vans, we worked for the Warp Tour, I worked for a lot of skateboard companies, uh, worked for a bunch of museums. And that, um, it, you know, that led to two things. One, really start to kind of flex your own muscles and find your own voice when you're not working under the umbrella of somebody else's company or somebody else's kind of legacy of work. 
Mm. And two, I really enjoyed building a team of people to work with, finding people who are kind of similarly driven, similarly hardworking, similarly kind of laser focused on creating something great. And um, in a complete set of happenstance, we moved to Nashville for family reasons. My wife's family was here. Mm -hmm. And um, I had slowly started to incorporate photography and video into um, our studio. And we got to this point where, you know, it was maybe 10 years ago where everybody had a DSLR, everybody had a smartphone, everybody had hard drives and memory cards full of photos. Mm. And people kept asking, you know, what do you do to organize these? What do you do to save these? What do you do to share these? And it had an idea to um, launch a technology that took the kind of the social sharing and community aspect of a Facebook with a long-term kind of legacy secure storage of a Dropbox. Mm -hmm. um, I knew nothing about technology. I knew nothing about founding a, a technology company, but I found a, a partner and an investor and we went down that road and it was really a, it was nothing really planned to do. It just kind of came up organically and one thing led to another. And next thing I know, we'd launched a technology company. Wow. Wow. Was that, um, was that Archiver? That's Chris? right. Yeah. It was yeah. Archiver, my favorite name of a company with the worst spelling that nobody could ever pronounce. <laughs> so it was, was Archiver to most, but Archiver to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and also as, as well, I mean, obviously doing what you're doing now, what were the sort of pitfalls that you found working for big corporates? Was it, was it sapping your energy? Did you just feel it was time to leave? What were mm. the sort of good and bad points there? I think the good points were it was an endless source of work. There was an, always a new client, always a new campaign. There was always a new kind of production team to work with. There was always a new printing technique to try. So it was endless opportunity. The The downside was more of a personal thing for me. I just, I felt like we could take all of the methodology and the kind of thought and strategy brought into huge campaigns but apply them to companies that are smaller and aren't going to take a year of research, a year of kind of, you know, covering your backside and being sure that you've gone through all the right steps, a year yeah. of maybe two or three times the number of people in the room to make decisions as necessary. Yeah. And when, you know, you kind of break off on your own, everything is so lean, you know, two or three people doing the job of what 30 or 40 people did at a bigger agency. And I really enjoyed that ability to mm. have an idea, think it through, prototype it, execute it, throw it out in the world. And if it fails, it's no problem because it failed within a week and we can figure out what went wrong and we can kind of try something else. And yeah. things were happening in days and weeks rather than in months and years. Yeah. Yeah, 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 makes sense. Yeah, it does. It can, when you've got to go through so many different people, things just take forever to to get off yeah. the ground. So yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's that's difficult and frustrating as yes, well. <laughs> absolutely. And then actually, in response to the pandemic in early 2020, you launched StagePilot as the first end-to-end -end virtual event platform. Can you expand a little bit more on this area? Because you know, and, and what actually makes this platform unique from the competition if there is any you know out there yeah absolutely yeah, there's definitely competition and it's definitely unique it came out of for that original photo sharing platform about 11 months after we launched google photos apple photos dropbox launched something called carousel and completely decimated us mm. um we had a bunch of money in the bank 
We've got a great partner, had plenty of runway. And so we've pivoted into a couple of different areas, one of which being technology that um, helps artists kind of get fans to the uh, VIP experience, make that everything from kind of checking in to things to do, to getting their meet and greet photo, to just getting that process to be super streamlined and really let folks focus on that kind of deep connection they're building with their favorite artists and not worry about the logistics of, of kind of getting in and through an event. Yeah. Um, we had, at the time the pandemic started, we had a super robust platform that was all technology that sat in the background and kind of streamlined that process. You know, about 250 mm-hmm. artists at any time using it. It was everyone from, you know, Metallica and Megadeth to Peppa Pig and Disney on ice. But when the pandemic came, two things happened. One, obviously all those tours came to a grinding halt. And two, we really had the opportunity to sit back and think, we've been really evolving the, the logistical process of, of kind of super fandom. We've been behind the scenes doing the little things that make every experience between a fan and an artist simpler, faster, easier, less of a headache. But really... You know, our clients were VIP companies. Our clients were the folks that created those experiences, that crafted them, that really ran those experiences. And we were just in the background. You know, over the years, we'd had, you know, maybe every quarter or so, our company would get together and think about what can we do to use technology to create better kind of VIP, like super exclusive, super, Mm -hmm. super fan experiences. And it occurred to us that the pandemic gave us one, the opportunity to figure out how we can kind of reimagine the VIP world when there is no venue. But two, it gave us the opportunity to say, why are we sitting one step disconnected from fans when we all spend day, night and weekend kind of thinking about making better fan experiences? So we sat down and kind of architected stage pilot and the technology side of stage pilot is it started with a virtual meet and greet platform, but the people side of stage pilot was knowing that once the pandemic started to fade, once concerts and venues started to fire back up, that we were going to take our technology back and we were going to launch a VIP company that used technology, but also just used kind of our, all of our creative and kind of industry background to create just get back to spectacular VIP experiences, something that's more than just a ticket and a koozie. Mm. So the technology side, we started with this virtual meet and greet platform. And there was one other that was out there in the world and people were using Zoom and kind of other tools to to kind of replicate that experience of lining up backstage and meeting an artist. But we sat down with a couple of managers and a couple of labels and a couple of artists that we've worked with for a long time and really thought through how do we create this incredible, branded, immersive fan experience that includes a video call with the artist? And then how do we be sure on the artist side that they don't need to learn any new technology, they don't need to sit down and kind of become an expert in virtual events, that we can run these events for them and the artist just purely focuses on having a great interaction with fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That launched last August. Um, you know, like everything else, it started with one artist and then two and then five. And the next thing you know, we were doing three or four a week. And now we've done about 20,000 meet and greets with about a hundred different artists. Wow. And 
it's as you can imagine, I think we thought it would we thought it would be successful. We maybe didn't think it would be as successful or kind of well loved in 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 trafficked and used as it is. And the feedback was always this is so much more personal. We've all done a meet and greet backstage where you line up and it's a bit of a cattle call. And we do those too. We you know we manage live VIP for for plenty of artists. But this was like two intimate minutes where your artist is in their living room or their studio or their wherever they are and you're in your home. And those two minutes are incredibly personal and intimate. Mm. And so we knew we're onto something there. Our partners or clients um, were coming back and, you know, instead of doing 30 fans, they would do 50 fans and then a hundred and then a thousand. And, Mm. you know, we've got artists that do kind of, three sessions a week for months and months and months on end. The one negative feedback was if that meet and greet was part of a bigger event. So if there was a live stream, if there was a merch drop, if there was an album release party or a single release, it wasn't a great experience to kind of buy your ticket on platform A, go to the live stream on platform B, do the meet and greet on stage pilot, get your merch from somewhere else. And so we kind of, sat back and imagined one letting a fan buy a ticket and then just seamlessly brought like you would at a festival or at a show into the venue, watch the event, allow folks to kind of bring, you know, fans up on stage virtually allow some fans to interact with the show virtually allow others just to watch it and then seamlessly bring a portion of those people into a meet and greet. And then we've got a global kind of merch operation to be sure that there's always some kind of exclusive takeaway of these virtual events. And I think that's when we really, that's when things really started to kind of take off in a bigger way for us, where instead of doing lots and lots and lots of groups of 30 fans doing a meet and greet or hundred or 500 fans, we were kind of concepting bigger events and, you know, creating a role for the fan who's just watching a role for the fan who's somewhat interactive and then a role for the fan that's deeply interactive with the artist. Wow. Yeah. It's really, um, really interesting, really cool as well, Chris. And I think with all my experience with putting live events on and live shows, it's always the meet and greet side of it that, you know, you saw mum come in with Mm. with a little girl or a little boy and just so excited to meet their favourite artist. And you're completely right. It's such a special experience that people take away from them. And I think the way the industry's gone for the last, you know, not only in the last week, but in the last 10 years, it's changed dramatically. And I think a lot more power has been shifted to the artist now to control a lot more things. I personally feel, as just a personal thought, that I think the major labels are still missing a trick with certain things. They're still very slow to manoeuvre, and I think it's going to enable a lot more indies to come forward and be a, a, and pivot and maybe be a, a bit more resilient to what's going to be, you know, coming forward in the music industry in the future. So I think it's quite, you know, pretty cool mm. what you're doing, really. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, on one hand, we're working with, you know, Kevin Gates on a massive tour that has a huge virtual component. On the other hand, we're working with kind of independent singer songwriters who are, Mm. uh, we've got a show with a guy named Tony Luca tonight, who was on The Voice. He was part of the Mickey Mouse Club with Justin Mm -hmm. Timberlake and and Britney Spears back in the day. Yeah. he puts on two 10 show virtual virtual series every year that include different levels of VIP engagement. And this is with no label support. This was with minimal management support. Mm -hmm. If for an artist that has an understanding of 
what their fans love about them and is willing to kind of lean in and do the work to create experiences that give fans kind of that access in different, like varying degrees of, of, um, of kind of getting behind the scenes and getting close to them that the tools are, I mean, you don't need a ton of support. You don't need a ton of money. You really just need the kind of creativity and the, and the time commitment to, you know, try things, try new things and, and see what fans like, see what they don't like and keep evolving that. And it's remarkable to see artists that, you know, obviously a lot of artists, whether it's via TikTok or, or YouTube have launched over the past year, but to see artists that have been around for 10, 15, 20 years and completely rediscovered or maybe discovered for the first time their kind of corner of the world of super fans and have just given them so much more content, so much more music, so much more access than they ever have before. Um, That's exciting. Definitely. And we're happy to do it with, you know, we work with massive artists on a global tour that has an in-person component and a virtual component. And we work with small upstarts who are launching their first single and just trying to figure out who are their biggest 100 fans right now and how do they start to grow from there. Yeah. Oh, so that's good that it's open for for everyone to have a chance to reach, you know, their target audience and and build on that. Because I think it is so important, isn't it, for fans to be feel like they're involved and kind of like the like you say the behind the scenes. I think fans do love that, yeah. don't they? Yeah. They they want to know before anybody else and yeah. talk about it, and they take those memories with them. So it's definitely, yeah, you're onto something really really great. So I can see why it's been well received. Definitely. Yeah, no, I, I, I echo that as well, Chris. And I think also as well, I, I think over time with being involved with festivals and, you know, starting doing small shows and building up to do some quite big shows, I think for me part of the the, the allure and maybe the sexiness of the big festivals has, has partly gone now because you're seeing the same major act doing the same headline shows you know one act will come over from the states or from europe and headline most of the uk festivals and it's always the act that is unsigned as in a tent three miles up the road on the site that people go wow Mm. that was just a mega mega experience and i think i think they could open up just me speaking to you chris i think you know beck and i feel that it could open up you know globally with all sorts of acts coming through and obviously you're looking at professional sport streamers gamers and comedy so i think it's it's quite an exciting yeah. time really interesting yeah. way forward yeah. mm. i think anybody that's got super fan anybody that has fans that want to do more than just kind of look in one direction and happen to see their music happen to hear their music happen to see whatever they're doing and then just casually walk away if you can identify <clears throat> And it is a tough pill to swallow, especially for a young artist who's looking for TikTok followers, Instagram followers, streaming numbers. Obviously, those are all important. But if you can identify who are those first 50 people that will follow you anywhere, buy every album, they want every piece of merch. How can you learn from them and find another 50 and then another 100 and then another 1,000? And if you can build that base of people who aren't just you know, listening to you when you happen to kind of come across their ears. To me, that's the beginning of, of really identifying your super fans. And then that's your test case. That's how you understand if those people love your music, if those people love your merch, if those people love your album or your concert or your videos, then you're more like more and more likely to find more people like them. And I think we've got endless ways to kind of target folks. Yeah. 
But if we can get really close to those kind of core people who really help define who your fan base is. And with virtual events, I mean, there are very few artists that are going to tour over two or three continents before they have a couple albums out and a lot of label support. So the ability to say, man, I've got a, we have more artists that are reasonably well-known artists kind of worldwide, but are huge in the UK or are huge in the U S or huge in Australia and largely relegated to that world or that country or that location who run through a couple of virtual events and be like, and you know, they find a fan base in the Middle East, they find a fan base in South America. And so the mm-hmm. ability to just kind of identify these people or let them self-identify and then really dig in, really super serve those fans and let them become kind of a flashpoint to start to grow a community in areas that you may never tour through. Mm-hmm. To me, that's super exciting. To me, that's something that, that that's really the core of what our platform does. Yeah. And I think, not, not a controversial question, Chris, but just a point from me. Do you do you feel that you would sell the concept to a major label, major media company, or do you want to keep it independent and you know keep it yourself? And you don't want to sell out to the you know to those. What, what's your sort of feeling on that? I don't have any thoughts of selling anything right now. I think realistically, I've, I've been a part of and started a number of businesses. Some have sold, some haven't. I think the best course of action is one. I love what we do. I love the team that we've built. And, you know, this sounds cheesy, but our clients, which are typically managers and artists, are so much more partners than clients. We don't have a big vendor relationship with people. We've got a partnership relationship where folks will call us and say, hey, I'm going into the studio for eight weeks. Can you help us recap some of that cost? Or we have a new video coming out. How can we get it to kind of more and more people um, around the globe. I, I don't want to do anything that takes us out of that space where we can be kind of a deep partner with management and a deep partner with artists. And my kind of gut check moment is if I'm able to ask an artist and I'm stealing the words from Melanie McCauley, who's the head of our of new business yeah. at stage okay. pilot, her <laughs> first question is always, what is the event? What is the thing you always wanted to do with your fans? but just couldn't do in a typical kind of touring on stage venue scenario. And I don't ever want to get to a space where we have to give up on that flexibility. We have to give up on that ability to create experiences and create situations where fans get such deep access to artists because we are owned by a bigger company or we have a corporate structure that says, look, that's not, that's not wildly profitable at scale, or that's something that might work for this genre, but not that genre, or that wouldn't work for streamers. It would only work for, you know, esports. So yeah. my goal is to keep the flexibility that we can keep kind of handpicking like the absolute best team members at stage pilot and that we can let them loose on creating incredible events for people. And the minute that becomes, that's what happened in the design world for me, the, the accounts became bigger. It was all about revenue. It was all about kind of going through and managing and, and uh, navigating the kind of the, the, the corporate structure with our clients. And I just, you know, we're, we're really fortunate. We don't have the need to do that. We don't mm-hmm. have the, the financial pressure to do that. And we certainly don't have any kind of organizational pressure to do that. No, no it's, it's, it does make sense, Chris. And yeah. I sort of echo, you know, what you're saying, because I think some of the things that, you know, Becky and I have been involved with, you know, collectively and maybe separately, it, 
going back to the point in the field with a band that you've just come across and their energy and enthusiasm and their, their stage presence was just raw and really exciting, what tends to happen and will used to annoy me or frustrate me is that then that band would get signed or would go on and mm. they they just become a shell of, the, of, of an existence and you think, oh, it's just what you were was actually fantastic. And I think touching on your corporate side of it, it, it does... I suppose water down to a point, and I think it's the, you, your first gut reaction is always the right one. And I think once that gets lost, it's difficult to bring it yeah, back. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I don't, you know, I don't. I understand it. I don't. Um, I, there's a. There's of course, there's absolutely a place for major labels. There's a place for independent labels. There's a place for all different types of distribution companies, but. You know, at the end of the day, those they're selling a product and we have just that absolute kind of amazing niche carved out for ourselves where we're selling, like getting to that, like the, the core, that nugget, that one thing that as an artist, you love to share with a fan and that one thing that your deepest fans love to get closer to. So we're not really, we're not tied to streaming numbers. We're not tied to first week record sales. We're not tied to any of those things we're really judged by how unique and deeply kind of personal the experiences that we help artists create are to fans. And if they fall flat, they fall flat just because we didn't make that connection. And if they're successful, then hopefully this is the best kind of day or week or hour or whatever of this fans, you know, this fans year. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And just just touching actually on COVID at the moment, how is Stage Pilot approaching the constantly changing mandates around COVID and live events? You know, it must be pretty tricky, I would imagine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So COVID has, there are two things we do with every event. One is, you know, our events are either completely live. It's, it's VIP on tour and, you know, it's an acoustic session. It's, um, you know, listening to the sound check, it's touring backstage, meeting the artist. It could be completely virtual. It's a live stream and virtual meet and greets. Mm -hmm. But largely what we're doing now is a hybrid approach where every live tour we do, there is a contingency to switch to virtual if needed. And this happens every week where we're a week or two out with every venue. And as restrictions change, as regulations change, we've got the communications and the language and the plan in place that we can really within a couple of hours, flip the switch and turn turn in-person meet and greets to virtual meet and greets, turn an in-person sound check into a streaming sound check. So whether we decide we're going to do virtual from the get go, or it's something that we just have in our back pocket, that's part of every tour. The other thing we do is, there are plenty of ways within, um, you know, as restrictions tighten, but not mm-hmm. get too tight to keep people separated and safe backstage. And that could be building a set where you meet the artist and you're physically separated. That could be, you know, I, I think there's a level, we've got an artist that wanted to do her meet and greets in a hazmat suit this year. Um, you know, there are creative ways to navigate kind of the entire spectrum of changing uh regulations the important thing is that well before the tour kicks off we've got contingencies in place because you know like anything we do our goal is to sit in the background and let the artists focus on the performance so if we can cover all those details 
we can put a plan in place for any any changing scenario, then the artist is going to stay kind of focused on what they should be focused on. And that's engaging with fans and performing their, their music or whatever they're performing. Yeah. Cause you just, it's, you just don't it know. is, you just don't know no. exactly. It's just ever changing. But um, if you've got that all being able to just flick a switch basically and move quickly then, and you know, so everybody's still remaining safe and everything like that, then that's, that's great. Yeah. And also as well, people are just chomping at the bit to have live events well, again, yeah. aren't they really? Yeah. So they want that experience. Yeah, that's a bit of, I mean, that's, I think everybody here feels a shared responsibility not to go through what happened last year. And mm. from the fans' point of view, we just want to keep the show going. And I know if you had your heart set on putting your arm around your favorite artist in person and that gets switched to virtual, it's a change. But our goal is to be sure that when you walk out of that virtual meet and greet, you know, not only was it different, but it was better or it was unique or it was amazing. Yeah. And on the artist side, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a business. So yeah. our goal is to be sure there are never, we never get stuck in just having to do mass cancellations, mass refunds. No. If, no you know, no, with no. a little bit of planning no. and a little bit of production, we can be sure that artists can continue to perform you know, live, virtually, some mix of the two in that, you know, they continue to make a living. I mean, that was a, mm -hmm. that was a tough year for every, I mean, as you know, for every, every possible sector and, and corner of the entertainment industry really took a hit last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. I think mm -hmm. I don't, anything that's not been touched, so no. anything that sort of helps revenue back into the system is, um, you know, positive, really positive, yeah. Chris. And I think... I suppose also touching on as well, you mentioned earlier about the artists and managers. How have they felt about your initiatives, especially from a management perspective? Have they sort of welcomed you with open arms, really? It was, you know, like anything else we've built. Early on, there were a dozen artists that were just, I mean, I'm sure there are many more than a dozen. There are a dozen we work with that were just, they would do and try anything to continue you know, kind of creating and releasing and sharing music. Yeah. And there were managers that, you know, knew their artists well and knew how to kind of pitch this in a way that wasn't, we're taking away live events, we're scaling back the performance, we're limiting access. So, you know, we've got so many close relationships with managers and artists that have always just been interested in what are new and interesting and exciting ways to connect with fans. There were also artists and managers who thought we're going to wait this out. We don't want to say the word live stream. There are just so many live streams out there. And the way that we won them over over time was we don't really do a lot of kind of one and done live streams. We don't we don't stream a lot of kind of the equivalent of your arena show. Um, we have a lot of partners. We work with a lot of other streaming companies that do that. And we're happy to kind of pass that work their way. Everything we do is probably a smaller ticket count. We might be looking for thousands of fans instead of hundreds of thousands of fans, but we're working with artists to say, what, how can we craft an event that you couldn't do on stage? You know, you're just not going to replicate that feeling of being in the audience and being packed in and having beer spilled on you and having people screaming <laughs> all around you. Yeah. Yeah. you. I mean, I don't know, maybe if you have a different home environment than me, that's not, <laughs> I can't replicate that at my house, <laughs> but we've done things like with little skies. We, hosted a virtual kind of green room hang with his fans um, and Skies and his DJ Rello and his team were all kind of in a green room listening to new music over the PA 
fans were all watching. They didn't mm-hmm. realize that at a certain point we would open up the gates and let all the fans actually join and talk to guys and talk to each other. <laughs> In those like those intimate events where fans get to see the artists kind of at ease in their real life. They get to meet the team around them. They get to hear about the music and then they just get to jump into the room and hang out with him. <laughs> Th- that type That's of thing cool. it, it, it's rare that we find a manager that doesn't like light bulb doesn't go off and say okay I, this is not putting a quarter million dollars into a yeah. live stream that if you don't sell 200,000 tickets you're going to lose money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the type of event that we that we focus on and really is the more I mean we've done cooking shows, karaoke, horror movie watch parties like all, <laughs> as soon as we started to kind of get the word out about those shows then the more reluctant artists, the more reluctant managers started to come around and, and see this as a new experience rather than kind of a dumbed down version of, of what they love to do day in and day out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's a case of being able to pivot and it's also putting your creative head on as well, Chris, and being able to innovate and, mm. and actually say, look, the industry's changing and you've got to change with it. Cause if you don't change, you, you're not going to be relevant anymore. So I think, you know, it's, it's, you've got to be cautious. I completely understand that, but I do yeah. think the industry's changed so, so much. Um, and there's some great, you know, Great people out there, great projects, yeah. great initiatives. It's just, You've just got to you know. be willing to adapt, I think, really. Yeah. Give things a try. I mean, yeah. it's not going to work for everybody, but, you know, but it's certainly what, what more do they want, you know, to be able to interact with the fans and they interact with you. It's, yeah, it's a perfect match, isn't it? It's a great, great platform. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great point that there is risk involved with everything. I think when you're kind of thinking through an event that's never been done before, there is always the chance that it's going to fall flat. You know, we have quite a bit of data on past events, kind of what sold, when Mm. it sold, how much it sold for, how engaged people were, how, you know, there are plenty of metrics to look at, but like everything else, it's a journey. You know, I think we, again, we don't really work with artists one time and then never work with them again. Mm. We launch an event we do a deep dive into what happened. What, what did fans love? What could we have done better? How was the price point? What was the merch like? What could be better? The next event, we learn more and get smarter and create an even better experience and on and on and on. And I think if you've got the opportunity to partner with folks who are inherently creative, who are inherently trying a new thing and putting themselves out there and kind of running the risk that it takes off or falls flat, as long as we do the kind of basics of being sure a fan has an amazing experience. A -hmm. fan gets access to something they just can't do in their daily life. You know, you think about it, it's not hard to make a really incredible experience when it's, you know, bookended by, you know, going grocery shopping and sitting at your desk at work. So Mm -hmm. as long as we can be sure that a hundred percent of our focus is on fans, a hundred percent of our focus is on them walking away, just, you know, best part of their day again week month year whatever then i think it's just a matter of finding people who are willing to do it for the long haul right they're willing to try it tweak it do it again get better dial it in that kind of stuff and luckily you only need i mean i'm i'm we're just super fortunate to have a lot of long-standing relationships with a few dozen artists and managers but you really only need a few who are willing to do that kind of to keep going yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. and I, I think um, it also takes me back as well, Chris, as one of my uh, friends. Um, I worked with him for quite a while, and he was he was a former England Test cricket player. And mm. 
he's a phenomenal player and he's a super, super guy. Uh, and obviously played for a county team as well. And one thing I learned with him after working with him for many, many years was he would always stay behind at the end of a test match or at the end of a county, a county game. And the kids would just come up to him, you know, oh, can I have you? How are you doing? How was the game? <laughs> and he would always stay. Some players would just leave. Some players would just, you know, do what they needed to do. Some weren't so sort of, you know, that great. But he was always really, really good. And it, this sort of typifies for me what you're doing because there was a little boy at this particular one. It was when England, I think, were playing Australia in the test match and he came out and there was 50, 100 young lads, got his autograph and he just did a 10-minute chat with them after he had an intensive you know, play on the field. Mm. And all those lads, I saw every single one of those lads, Chris, go home with a massive smile on their face. Even the dads were, were just so pleased. Now I'm thinking, they're going to stay with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. They all did, because some of those kids I would see turn up at different test matches, coming down to county games, I got to know some of the dads, and they would always be respectful, but they'd always say, he gave my son time, mm. and my son is just would go on and play better cricket for it. And I just think what you're doing there, it, it's sort of taking me back to that that, that type of sort of realisation, yeah. really. They're inspiring the sort of next yeah. generation sort of coming through as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. I think that is our... That cricket player is our, you know, that's who we're out searching for every day. And that's the mm. folks who come can search us out that again, it's not, he didn't break his back to do that. Didn't cost a fortune. There was no strategy session, came down to the stands, mm. met a fan and completely changed that fan's life. Oh, it, um, it, 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 it took 10 minutes. It was yeah. amazing. He would do it every single week. There was a few other players like it as well. I'll come across a few footballers that would exactly the same in this country. And, mm. All you do, you, go, you imagine like a seven-year-old, eight-year-old lad coming up and that's all he wants to do and he's just talking to his hero for two minutes and gets an autograph and, and he shakes his hand or he smiles at him and says, keep playing hard. That little boy or little girl is going to go home just wanting to yeah. do better and just, just do better. Yeah. Yeah, so I think no it's doubt. exciting. Yeah. It is. I love um, that. <laughs> and I think that's where it takes away the corporate feeling from me because... You know, I've had my good points and bad points with major labels and independent labels. But the one thing I've always maintained as well, Chris, is that just let the fan decide. Stop sitting in a boardroom making decisions based on what you think a fan likes because they're not going to like what you throw at them. Because trust me, the fan will know exactly what they want from the mm. artist and they will know as well, Chris, and this is through personal experience as well, when a band sells out to a label because the fan knows. The fan knows if they've just been flipped over from an independent to a major label quite quickly and the fan says, oh, no, they sold out for money. I'm not really interested in their music anymore. And that's happened quite a few mm. times for people that I've, I've come across. Yeah, that's it. Actually, Chris, it would be really interesting, actually, to get your sort of take on this. Um, you know, is there anything that really frustrates you about the entertainment industry, you know, creative industries in general? Is there anything that you wish that you could change about the industry? be interesting just to hear, hear your thoughts. I think so. I I have I've I've had kind of changing thoughts about this over time. Mm -hmm. I don't come from the entertainment industry, so it was a you know yeah. when we saw this opportunity. I mean, a a tour manager had used an app, that, a wedding app that we'd made years ago at a wedding, and said, "Man, this would be great to collect photos at a at a concert." Yeah, and so. I don't have any baggage. I never worked in a, in a, I never worked at a label. I never worked at a big management firm. I never worked at a, with a promoter. 
yeah. I don't have any, you know, I, I think I'm probably one of the, the few people in the entertainment industry that it's been a hundred percent upside. Mm. And there were certainly challenges. I mean, I used to go to the yeah. coffee shop behind Warner music or Warner Nashville and yeah. hope to bump into people. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, it was, it was difficult getting clients. It was not the easiest industry to, to kind of break into, but I have to say we have, well, we've lost one client and we helped them build the technology to replicate what we do because they wanted to keep it all in house. We've never lost a client. We've never, we've just not had bad, ex you know, things have gone wrong. Things have gone awry and, you know, we're there to kind of fix that. But I mean, without, I don't, I'm not usually the person that, that is this overly positive in the, in the room, but I, we've just, I don't have any bad experiences with the music industry. It's just mm. been all kind of amazing for us. We've, I will say being outside of those organizations. And I, you know, I think my partner in this company, Robert Turner, who's the, he's an equity investor in my, and co-founder, you know, he's built a, a multi-billion dollar business on, on, which is his main focus. But when he's here once a month and we're talking about stage pilot, he always goes back to a, a phrase that, that is, um, you know, big companies didn't get big by doing big company things. And I, no, I can no, see no. how if yeah. you worked in a big, you know, kind of entertainment focused company, it could be frustrating that yeah. it's not going to be easy to evolve quickly. And I think, yeah, you know, there's people say the entertainment industry is slow to adapt technology, slow to adapt. I don't know that I believe that. I think in any industry, some folks are slow to adapt. Some folks are others. Yeah. Some folks are risk averse. Some folks aren't. Um yeah. Our from day one, you know, our, our partner and I set out to say we're going to build a company with people that we love. We're only going to work with people we love. If anyone, if, if this isn't your dream job, this is not the place for you. And yeah. we had the financial yeah. runway to say we're only going to go after clients and and artists and managers that we can believe in. And you know, sounds a bit like an after school yeah. special, but it's been <laughs> it has been good. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying, because I mean, I'm going to say you sort of hit the nail on the head, really, because it's so important to have the right team around you, you know, to build anything. And I think that's it. If you're working yeah. at a big major or yeah. corporate and, and I suppose from your experience, you've only had great experience because you've been part of a great team. You know, you've built that up and, and it's being successful and it's being able to move forward in the right way um, in a timely manner as well, you know, without, um, like you say, months and sort of years to get anything done. So, yeah, which would be frustrating, I guess. So um, That would drive me crazy. Yeah. I don't have the attention span or the patience to sit. <laughs> you know, no. if something doesn't work here, I think we're, uh, my goal is for everybody to feel incredibly open. You know, if, if someone's bothering you, you should go up to them and tell them they're bothering you. If you see is over here, somebody and think there's an opportunity they're missing, walk up to them and tell them if you want to get involved with, you know, an artist we're working with, cause you love their music, you should be able to get involved with that project. And that yeah. just means that we can only hire people who are, um, incredibly empathetic. They really put themselves in the shoes of the artist and the manager and the fan. They've got to be incredibly reliable. I mean, our goal is to take all the kind of crap away and let people focus on what they do, whether it's the business of, of, of an artist's kind of career or the performance. And it's, um, you know, they, they just have to give a damn. Everybody's got to really genuinely care about, about their clients and, and about the, you know, the artist fans. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, it's, you know, and, and, and luckily, you know, we find like-minded clients and, and partners to work with. Um, it's really, it's not, 
there's day to day things that are that are a pain like everything else, but mm. really, it's it's it's. Yeah. I can't think of a better place to be right now. That's good to hear. Yeah, it's yeah. actually good to yeah. hear that. Re- yeah. Re- refreshing. refreshing yeah. yeah f- instead of talking to the industry person, that oh, I'm fed up with this and I'm fed up with that. I think, well, there's not a lot I can do about that, really. To be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, if you're um, fed up, yeah. you should do something about it. I was yeah, fed up with, true. you know, something. You yeah. just go find a partner. And I mean, what I didn't have was the money side of it. I found a partner who did and was just incredibly supportive of the vision. Um, mm. We've cherry picked all of our best clients from VIP companies. We've just the people we've loved to work with. Mm. I've been offering our new VP of operations. I've been offering her a job every year for five years. And finally she came on board. And I just think it, 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 you got to be dogged, right? You just, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. want to work with an artist. You, you got to be dogged. If you want to mm, yeah. sell more yeah. tickets, you've got to be dogged. You just, you can't just sit back and throw your hands up and complain about what's not working that I've got no time for that. I got no, 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 no. Consistency. No. One yes. of my favorite terms, Chris is consistent. You've got to be consistent. And it's one of the things that, you sort of mentioned the word a couple of times and it comes up in everything that Becky and I do. And that's why we created the company Seamless because that's why we wanted to create a seamless transaction. Mm. And our podcast came out of that. So Becky and I sat down last year and went, mm, how can we pivot? And we didn't know how the podcast space was going to go. And we're sitting talking to you yeah. sort of nearly quite a few shows we've done now. And um, it was Jenna that approached us. She heard one of our shows and said, you know, would you like to have Chris and Mel come on? And we went, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. That's so, amazing. Yeah, she was she was a big fan of you guys. She was really keen on connecting us. No, that's, that's, great. that's great. So, what really is next? I suppose for the year ahead, Chris. What what is your sort of vision for the next twelve months? What where do you want to be? What do you want to do? You know, tell us about that. So there are a couple things. We we've been incredibly cautious to grow. We've grown really deliberately over the past six or seven years. And then last year we went from four employees to about 20. And so for me, the next 12 months is really about managing growth. And that growth is um, identifying some, you know, when you, when you think about the world of VIP, there's the, um, I thought it was kind of callous, but I met with a company that manages uh, VIP for the Super Bowl and they call it kind of a ticket in a lollipop. Like to be a VIP ticket, mm. you have to give them something, whether it's a program or a koozie or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, our goal is to, in we manage right now, I think we have seven live tours on the road and I don't know, maybe 20 or so virtual events in the works. We're looking, we're starting to partner with much bigger tours, tours that not only will you be kind of conceiving of the VIP experience and ticketing it and managing it, but you'll be fabricating it, sending trucks on the road, sending people on the road. And so like everything else, I want to be sure we do that with the right partner. So really finding, we have two or three kind of massive tours we're working with, finding a few more of those that we can really kind of put our creative team to use. We can truly partner with them and really start to think about what is the next level of interactive experience, whether it's in a venue or, or combined? Um, and that, you know, it takes a minute to find that partner who's got that same kind of open-ended desire to find and do something that hasn't been done before. So there's that kind of growth side of it. On the product side, you know, we're one of the, we're the only, certainly the only VIP company with an engineering team as deep as ours. So we have got endless opportunity to kind of innovate on the technology side. There are a few, um, 
there are, you know, been probably five or six years right now where we're building a product, evolving that product, building a product, evolving a product. Right now, I'd like for our engineering and kind of creative technology side of the business to take or incorporate some time into their months, take a few days a month and really start to wipe the slate clean, get a blank piece of paper and imagine what's next. What's the next piece of technology we can build? Um, I'm not super interested in gimmicky things, but like what is a piece of technology that could further connect an artist and a fan? And so everybody that's here has the, you know, the, the ability to go, to go to shows, go do whatever you want to do to kind of immerse yourself in that world. And let's, let's kind of pick our head up and let's not get too kind of, you know, deeply rooted in, in, in what's on the, on the, the kind of calendar now, but let's pick our head up and figure out what's next and, and let our technology team kind of run wild a little bit. They've been just, Mm. that group of people has worked day, night, and weekend for the past four or five years to continually kind of create new technologies. And it's time for them to kind of pick their head up and have a little, have a little free time, have a little play time. And every time we've done that, something great has come out of that. Mm -hmm. Every time we've taken a few days every month and just worked on a pet project or, you know, two people who don't typically work together, sit in a room and and come up with something and build it. That's, Mm -hmm. um, that combined with just managing growth will be the next 12 months for us. Well, sounds really, really exciting. Yeah, yeah really. it does. I think um, <clears throat> yeah. if it um, can help change the change the music industry with technology, Chris, but on the publishing mm. side, I think um, a lot of artists would be very oh, yeah. interested in that. And I think um, mm-hmm. we're going to see the podcast world changing as well, I think, because so much music has been used in podcasts. I think there's got to be some sort of technology mm. that can monitor tracks in podcasts around the world and you know that could be something that could that yeah. could work as well but i think you know that side of it the song the song side of it the publishing side of it is i think um is crying out yeah. for new technology it's I where think. it's at yeah definitely. yeah there's definitely opportunity in being sure that music that's used is used kind of legally and properly mm-hmm. and that artists and and everybody involved with the creation of that music is is properly um compensated yeah, that's yeah. an interesting space. It's honestly a space that, until we started deeply getting into live streaming, I did not know much about PROs. I did not know much about licensing, yeah. and we've yeah. just had yeah. Yeah. like endless time with our attorneys figuring out kind of what we can do to help facilitate that side of things. But it's an interesting world that um, maybe that's something that our team should take a few days and start to poke at. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I uh, think that could be a real. <clears throat> On the other side, of it, Beck and I work quite well in film, and and we're always asked, especially with music. So we work on that side of it for film. So we have clearance for music for film, and you you wouldn't believe with producers and directors still don't clear music properly, still mm. use music they shouldn't use, mm. and there's a whole resource of technology around that that could be implemented as well. What that is at the moment, I have no idea, but there's got to be a streamer. Yeah way of doing stuff in the future to make it a lot more easy because you could have one piece of music where you need to clear it with 10 people and you could get eight people say yes and two people say no but the film needs a response within 48 hours and it's just can be difficult Hmm. man i'd love to talk about that i think i mean you just hit on the the beginnings of everything we've built is saying you know here's an issue there's got to be an easier way to do it and then you know there is an easier way to do it it's just a matter of getting the right people in the room that's right exactly exactly totally and then last of all really chris where can our listeners find out more about you and your company stage pilot well you can stagepilot.live is our website you can find us on socials um but i'll say 
we are, um, you know, as much as, as we work with Jenna and we've got a PR team and all that stuff, so much of what we do is sit in the background. You know, I think the best experience is when the fan has no idea who stage pilot is. So, yeah. um, yeah. you know, yeah. there's, there's, yeah. there's enough about us where you can go kind of learn a little bit more about what we do. You can see some of the events that we've put on. Um, but if you're a fan, best case scenario is, you know, you forget about us as soon as you hear about us. Yeah. The, the, uh, with, with no disrespect, yeah. Chris, if the fan doesn't really care, they just want to see what's yeah. in front of them and go, that's oh, exactly that is great. the experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, it's, I think we're the only company that has a real through line of being forgettable. And our goal is with fans, <laughs> we should be absolutely forgettable. And, and I know we sort of ended, but the only last thing I just wanted to say, Chris, it's obviously refreshing as well, because all the stuff that sometimes I've done or Becky's done or people that we've worked with, and you want to sort of try and, you know, raise the money and you want to try and get to the person you mm. want to get, and you never can. And when you do get to that person, they're always really helpful and really nice. And you think, I've been trying two years to talk to you, but so-and-so wouldn't let me because they didn't think it was right. And when you're in front of the right person, mm. they go, well, why didn't you come and talk to me? Well, I didn't have the opportunity. The gatekeepers again. Just got to be dogged. You <laughs> got, I mean, I'm sure I've irritated more than one person in the, you know, uh, on my way to getting stage pilot going. It's just... You just can't take no, I mean, like you take no for an answer at a certain point, but if you, if there's a connection to be made and you genuinely think it's not kind of a one-way thing where you just need something from somebody, but if there's a genuine connection to be made, you just got to stick with it. It's, yeah. You know, it's, well, if you truly believe in something, then you've right. got to, you've got to keep at it. That's right. Well, wow. thank you so much, Chris. It's been absolutely brilliant just speaking with you and it's great to have you on the show. Thanks yeah. for your time. Great brilliant. to meet you guys. Pleasure's all mine. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Entertainment Engine. And thanks for listening. Join us again next week for more great guest interviews from the world of entertainment. It would be great to have your feedback on the show. So please drop us a message at any time. We would love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platforms so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to the show. And remember to all stay safe. The Entertainment Engine.